Today's episode is brought to you by North Texas Honda Dealers. North Texas Honda Dealers, they're here to help. Welcome everyone to the Republic of Football. I'm your host, Shahan J. Raja, the college football insider at Dave Campbell's Texas Football. You can find all of our work at texasfootball.com. You can find us on Facebook, Dave Campbell's Texas Football. You can find us on Twitter at DCTF. And if you're not already, please become a subscriber at texasfootball.com slash subscribe. Well, as always, we've got Ishmael Johnson in the house. Ish, how you doing, man? Yo, what's up? Two weeks of football in a row. So far, so good. Uh, well, so far, so good. So far, so, so far, so good. As in, we're still playing. We're still playing football. Some we're teams still are football. still playing. Yes, yes. Um, I I do have to say, I think that you like are the grandmaster of like college football because the only thing that's happening has made Texas State a bigger deal two weeks in a row. Like, hey, you know what? I, that is true. <laughs> Speaking of which, uh, we do have a special guest on this program. We have Joe McBride, the head coach at McKinney Boyd, uh, and also the the father of Texas State starting quarterback Brady McBride, one of the big stories of the first weekend of the college football season. Uh, coach McBride was very generous with his time, so so that'll be in the middle of the episode. But um, you know, let's let's get started with uh, you know what's happening to my alma mater, not what's happening to your alma mater. So um, two college football games in the state of Texas have been officially canceled uh, for, for this upcoming weekend. So TCU versus SMU was the first one, uh, which really sucks. It was one of the games I was looking most forward to, but I, you know, that happened a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Joining them this week was Baylor versus Louisiana tech, which again, probably the game I was next looking most forward to this upcoming weekend. But, um, and, and, it's important to note this is a Louisiana Tech issue. It's not a Baylor issue. Um, so Louisiana Tech, in the aftermath of Hurricane Laura, unfortunately, had a lot of positive tests, which, you know, I mean, there's, it's just a reminder that there's so many things that are so much more important than football going on right now. But apparently Hurricane Laura was a little bit of a super spreader event. Um, some reports said that they had 38 positive tests in the program after only having one the previous month. So, uh you know, it, it, our hearts really do go out to them because this is just so much bigger than than trying to play a college football game, of course. But it does mean that two the two most interesting Power Five games of the weekend are officially off the schedule. Uh, Ish, are you surprised that we're already having to make those kinds of decisions? Uh, not really. Well, yeah, I guess yes, but I mean, when you have something like Hurricane Laura coming in and kind of throwing another wrench in there, right on top of the one we were already dealing with. Um, you can't be that surprised because, again, that kind of situation, you know, you have evacuees, you have, you know, uh, displacements and people are, you know, sheltering. So they're kind of in indoor. Obviously, people are staying indoors. And so like that, it just like you mentioned, it creates a super spreader event just from the necessity of needing to be safe from this other, you know, uh, weather event. And so, you know, from that po- standpoint, no, unfortunately, I'm not surprised. Um but from the overall standpoint of, you know, this early in the season, yeah, sure. Like, you know, you kind of expected if something was going to happen uh, COVID-related, it'd be maybe a couple weeks in uh, as opposed to, you know, for some teams, not even one weekend. Yeah, and, you know, for me, obviously, like you said, Hurricane Laura is just sort of an event that you can't really plan for. It's, you know, sure. it's a horribly unfortunate situation. And, and so for me, like, the TCU situation is a lot more concerning to me than the Louisiana Tech mm-hmm. situation, um, just because, you know, there's no reason, I guess, that, that it should be especially bad. But TCU, uh, in the weeks when they came back to campus, did have a lot of positive tests. And, um, you know, to their credit, the numbers have been steadily decreasing at TCU, sure. but, you know, it's just... 
the, the start of the year was obviously very bad. And, um, you know, and we have heard even with this UTSA Texas State game, at least at UTSA, uh, they have, I think that it was eight players that they know will be out because of either positives or contact tracing. And right. I believe they really, they, which is, is uh, really ironic because they released their depth chart, their first ever depth <laughs> chart we saw yesterday right. um, on uh, Tuesday, if you're listening to this. And, then Jeff Trailer came out and said that did not take into account the COVID cases. So right, you right. might as well just throw that out because we don't know who's going to be playing. Yeah, yeah. And they're still waiting on some. I think that it could be up to 13 players who are out, mm. uh, just dependent on some tests and some contact tracing, all that sort of stuff. Uh, some results that they're still waiting on. But yeah, I mean, look, this is what uh, this is what we knew the season was going to be like when we signed up for this. Uh, we knew that there were going to be a lot of, uh, you know, these sort of individual events that were going to cause some real issues. So, um, you know, ultimately I think that the one solace that you take is that at least at this point, the teams that played last week, it sounds like things went okay. You know, we haven't heard any big things from North Texas, Houston Baptist, UTEP, uh, Stephen of Boston at this point. Now there's still a lot of time. Let's not jinx it by any means, but, um, but you know, I, I think that's, this is what we signed up for. We knew that this was going to be a possibility when we decided to play this college football season. Um, and and look, so what's going to end up happening? Because another game that was actually that's an out of state game is that Tulsa has apparently had a lot of positive cases. Mm. So Oklahoma State is pushing that game back a week, but it still plans to happen. And <laughs> both both TCU and Baylor announced the games as being postponed. Well the teams don't have overlapping off days at any point during the season. Um, Now there's a possibility of course that teams could cancel because of COVID or, you know, things could happen. The one thing we're definitely learning about this fall is that schedules don't matter. Um, And so like, (laughs) remember that heading forward, by the way, (laughs) right? Schedules do not matter. Some games going to get canceled. Some games going to get pushed off. Um, One of these teams, what I'm thinking is going to happen is, with this specific matchup is that one team's going to just say to another team, Hey, we'll play you this other day and try to match one of their open weeks. And like, just cause this year is the year to do that. It's like, Oh, we can't play you this way. We're just going to match their open this week. We want to play them. So we'll push you back. And you know, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it, it'll be interesting to try and figure out. I mean, the big thing that I'm curious about, because like the Big 12 worked in a lot of off weeks um, mm-hmm. and conference USA didn't. Right. So conference yeah. USA is still kind of, they've got a normal schedule right now. Right. And so it's, I don't know, it, it's going to be really interesting. It's going to obviously depend to some extent, you know, for some programs who, which need the money, right? Like, uh, I mean, Louisiana tech, I don't think is necessarily one that's going to be hurting too much. SMU might not be hurting too much. Tulsa needs that money, right? Like Tulsa sure, sure. desperately needs that money. I mean, look, to some extent, uh, it sounds like Phil Montgomery is still the coach at Tulsa because they need that money. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, I think that it's going to depend on the school, but uh, yeah, it's if there's one takeaway that we should remember way into the future, right? It's that hey, if there's only 12 weeks of college football games, you don't have to plan all the way out to 2034. Like you really right. don't. <laughs> right, you can seriously. make this up in a second. <laughs> yeah, but um, but you know, there, there will be some college football games this weekend. Uh, you know, and and. We are seeing the debut of the Big 12 uh, at this point. You know, we don't necessarily know the numbers, uh, you know, of, of who's going to be out necessarily. And and actually, 
you know, real quick before we get into our interview, I, I do want to talk about that for a second. So Oklahoma sure. coach Lincoln Riley kind of been on the forefront for most of this in terms of trying to handle COVID. On Monday or Tuesday, he said, we are not going to release COVID numbers after the season starts because we view it as a competitive disadvantage. So I don't know. That's a, uh, sure. yeah. Whatever. <laughs> I don't know. Like it's, 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 it's the unfortunate normalization of this. Yeah. Um, you know, to, to essentially compare it to a sprained ankle. Right. Um, even though one, I believe like Oklahoma's first opponent is Missouri state. Yep, the fighting Bobby Petrinos. If I'm not mistaken, they're also using the same lab, and Missouri State is also is like releasing their numbers. No problem. Wow. The uh, I'm trying to think. Uh, what was the other point I was? Oh, the other point I was going to make is you don't have to say who it is. Right. right. Like the thing, no one care. Like I mean, yes, people care if you know they would love to know who it is, but like you don't have to release know who it is as opposed to just how many, like. There, that's that's the, the big number is just how many how many new cases is Oklahoma as a campus dealing with right because then the school has to take into account and the students very well should should know um, how many people are infected on their campus and how you know how vulnerable they are and because that affects them and like it the idea of like yeah the idea of just like normalizing it to the extent of oh we don't want to let them know who has COVID just like, we don't want to let them know if somebody's wrist is sore from, from throwing, you know, like it's, it's, that's just irresponsible. It's unfortunately, and unfortunately for Lincoln Riley, he's been so pretty proactive about this the whole off season. And then just for this to come out against Missouri state, who cares? Like, I don't right. know. That's, that's so, that's such a dumb thing to be worried about. Um, especially when, like I said, when you don't even know when we don't, we're not asking to know who it is. Right. And that is the thing, right? Is like, I think that we all, to some extent, have reached the point where we're acknowledging that this is a weird college football season and mm-hmm. that, you know what, whoever wins the title this year, if we make it all the way to a title game, will obviously have an asterisk. And like, you know, I mean, it's just going to be seen as a weird year. And I think that's yeah. fine, right? Like, it's okay for it to be a weird year. Um, but like, because it's a weird year, because it's not a year that'll count against player eligibility, for example, right? Like, I think that that's even more reason to just say, let's just do the right thing for these kids, whatever it is, right? Let's let's just try and, you know what, if we have to release case numbers, we have to release case numbers. If we have to, you know, cancel games, we're going to cancel games, right? Like, mm-hmm. it, it's just, this is a mulligan to some extent, right, from the NCAA. Like, even they're sure. saying, like, it is. And so, I don't know. It's, uh, it's a little discouraging that we're already at that point right now. You know, because, um, you know, it's only going to get worse as, as we get into more and more meaningful games. And so let's go ahead and get on to our guest. Uh, we've got, again, McKinney Boyd head coach Joe McBride. Fun fact, fun fact. Uh, Joe McBride was actually the football coach when I was in high school at Coppell. We welcome on the coach at McKinney Boyd, Joe McBride. Coach, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, Coach, uh, we're having you on, of course, because your son, Brady McBride, is now the uh, starting quarterback at Texas State. Uh, you know, for people who might not be super familiar with Brady, um, can you give us a little bit of a scouting report for him? Well, you know, he's a – he's you know, he loves the position. You know, I'm a defensive coach. I like – you know, I'm a defensive guy. You know, I told him my whole life, go play safety or linebacker. You know, uh, you know do something – 
you know, but he always seemed to – every coach he ever had, younger and seventh grade and all that, and eighth grade, they always put him in quarterback. And so ended up being a quarterback. And so it's something I know he's wanted to be, but but um, and he's fell, fell in love, fallen in love with. Uh, but I think I think his deal is Brady, Brady's just – he loves to compete. You know, he he's one of those that when, you know, if – if you got to count on somebody to put the ball in their hand at a critical moment, I know he wants it. It's important to him to do that. And, um, you know, I think, you know, he has a strong arm. He's always had, I don't know if that's just from being, you know, shin high when he was little picking up a high school ball and throwing it probably 4 million times. Um, He always, as he started getting older in seventh, eighth, ninth, I mean, his arm has always been very strong. Uh, and then he's, you know, he's a little, sometimes he can be unorthodox. You know, he can throw, he has a lot of different arm angles that some coaches love. And then some that are more conservative don't want, they want him to stay fundamentally sound in one kind of one way of throwing it. Um, <clears throat> but I know Coach Favreau is, you know, allows him some freedom to do some things. And, you know, and I just remind him, don't abuse that, <laughs> you know, still stay, you know, uh, within the, black and white to be in quarterback don't don't lean on that too much let that just happen naturally as as god has gifted you um but he has a strong arm and he does uh he throws at a lot of different angles he, he's a pretty good athlete he can run good and he's athletic and you know and so he tries to utilize utilize that in his game too but you know uh as a honestly as a coach and a dad i i, I never bring out the coach part unless he asks me or I, I just strictly stay out of it. And I just, I just pat him on the back and tell him I love him, did a good job. I enjoy watching you compete, you know, and I don't ever try to put on a coach hat and and, and tell him, try to give him advice or, hey, that was too high. You should have done this or, you know, I just leave it alone. He's got a lot of pressure on him. And he's got a coach that is more than capable of doing that. And so I'm just strictly dad. Uh, personally, you know, for, for you as, as his, you know, as his father and, and as his former coach as well, what, how, how was it for you to see him back out there? You know, it was his first, first game reps in, you know, some years he played a, a little bit at Memphis, but you know, his first start since high school, basically. And, and what was it like for you to just see him out there in the, in the game atmosphere again? Well, me and his mom were extremely excited. His brother and his sister, we, we, we just enjoy it. We know how much he loves it. We know how much he, after having to sit out and his waiver not passing last year, <clears throat> we knew how much he missed it. And, and I'll be honest with you, I, he, you know, I haven't, he, he probably hasn't always been the best off-season guy growing up. He had a lot of different things going on in, in baseball or basketball or whatever he was messing with at the time. He, um, but we saw in here this last year and a half just the commitment and the dedication he has put in for physical, just his body and his mind and, and speed. And he has really put in a ton of work. And as as parents, when you see him working that hard and, and, and you know, and, and knowing his dreams and everything, so seeing him run out on the field and that being um, being rewarded is, was tremendous for us, you know, and uh, 
I'm just, you know, for me, I'm just excited for him. Uh, I've, I've had players play at a high level and so many pros now and things like that. And as a, I just see it really as a dad, as, as somebody that's really proud to watch his kid mature into a hardworking kid that has um, created this opportunity for himself that just through his hard work. So, you know, that's probably what most we were, you know, that we were encouraged by just and happy just just to see him have all that hard work rewarded. Well, I mean, you can't find two better uh, quarterback coaches at the college level than Mike Norvell and obviously now Jake Spavadol. What kind of drew him especially to Texas State and to Coach Spavadol? You know, and, and Coach Norvell was awesome. You know, we love football out there and <clears throat> but but given the situation when he when he was really wanting to get home and had some had some um you know, there's some personal reasons in that with with uh, in-laws and some things like that. But but he he um, he was just really wanting to get back to Texas, and and and, and so when Spavadol, um when when we decided to go in the portal, he called me because I've never I'm kind of old school. I'm I'm just you know I've never been one that want to kind of do things like that, and so I was really leery of it, and I kind of got educated with some college coaches I know and just this is just a new time and era where that's part of it and especially in the quarterback world because <clears throat> there's only one of them and and so our fear and what we were kind of looking through uh, was knowing that Mike Norvell will probably not be there <laughs> much longer and and we were right and so we tried to you know as he went in the portal we just looked around and said you know, it opened up a new, whole new recruiting, just like it was in high school. And so we started talking to a lot of people and they were calling us and really kind of the whole new, all the recruiting stuff started over again within like two days of just constant calls and reaching out and, you know, it just started all over. And so we just assessing and weighing everything. And the thing, because he had opportunities in Florida and Virginia and, and Colorado, just different areas. Uh, where schools were wanting to come out. But but when Spavadol reached out in, at Texas State, he just said immediately, you know, Dad, I, I want to I come back to Texas. I know that area. I miss it. I miss being close to uh, my family. And, and you know, um, I, I would, and, and I know what kind of coach I've heard he is. And, you know, and his style was something – Brady was really uh, excited about his his quarterbacks that he's coached, just just as the um, characteristics that you know of Coach Spavadol as a coach, and so he was really impressed and appealed by that, and immediately just didn't want to go visit these other places that were calling him. He kind of shut it down and said, "Dad, I want to go to Texas State." So he went there, and then immediately they started the waiver thing, trying to get this waiver passed, and just was constant everyday deal, and we were having to put stuff in and. But, but really, that's that's kind of and it broke his heart when he didn't get his waiver. But, um, but uh, you know, as far as playing for a a guy that's been a quarterback guru like Spavado, there's not many coaches that can put a resume of quarterbacks against him. So we were related to do that and get him back in Texas where it's an easy drive. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, so. For Brady, uh, I mean, how did he kind of prepare for this? How did uh, what was kind of last year like, and and what was this off season like with COVID kind of leading up to this moment? 
Well, I know last year he wanted to – he didn't want to just sit around and watch. He wanted to run – he wanted to throw and play, so he wanted to be the quarterback and scout team. So he went over there and, and had a great time just being on the meat squad and throwing and playing and, and staying busy. And uh, and he, he enjoyed it because he just didn't want to sit idle waiting on people. And and so that he, he loved that, and but not as much as playing. But he stayed busy and it made the time go by. And then – then as far as, you know, after that, um, you know, he, he just really bowed his neck. And the thing, the thing that I saw him do was mature a lot. And that's a lot. A lot of credit goes to Mike Norvell along with Coach Spavadol. He You know, high school kids sometimes, especially quarterbacks, come out of high school in the social media world where everybody glamorizes. Then they realize, oh, man. All that don't mean to mean nothing. I gotta, I gotta start chopping wood every day, you know, and because uh, they're recruiting great people to replace you. So watching him mature as a young man, as a boy turning into a man, is what I saw, and just from his relationships and choices he's making, and just uh, I couldn't be more proud of the of the man he's become. And then uh, watching him work, you know, he he. He stayed through the pandemic. He, he stayed in uh, uh, in Texas State. He stayed in San Marcos, and he had this workout routine. And he had, you know, he stuck to the grind of, of preparing himself, even though he wasn't in an off season setting. You know, he he did a lot of unorthodox type stuff, uh, training, and just spent a lot of times getting his body. You know, he's not a six foot four, two hundred thirty pound quarterback. You know, so the one thing that we always discuss is that, hey, what are you? Well, he's an athletic quarterback that's got a strong arm and cerebral. So, hey, your ace in the hole is athleticism. So when you get out there, you got to make sure that you're able to escape, extend, um, be comfortable, and, and you know, and, and be you. But, but, but you can't, knowing your gift set and what's got in the, in the abilities God gave you, you got to hone those to the – to the very best you can. And and so he spent a lot of time really eating perfect. And I mean, he wouldn't deviate and he would, he was just doing everything. His body fat cut down to an obscene about 4% or something, you know? And, uh, and so just watching him mature and, and dedicate himself in, in, in every kind of way as a person, spiritually, physically, emotionally, in every way so that he could put his best foot forward to, to, to have this opportunity uh, is what he did during the pandemic. And, and he did just stay down there. You know, we didn't see him much. And then lo and behold, that little time where there was a little spike, he did get COVID. <laughs> you know, he got COVID in early July. And, uh, and so, cause he had to miss some family stuff and he kind of, he didn't have much, many symptoms. He just kind of had a weird smell and a little bit of a taste deal for about a day and a half. And that was it. But even during that time, he kept working out. So it's been a constant uh, dedication to working out. And that's what you get. And that's what me and his mom are so proud of. Is we've watched him mature, mature into from a high school, um, you know, glamour boy to, to just a hardworking, tough-nosed um, co- quarterback that's, that's earned every opportunity he's gotten. How did, how did you guys, you know, kind of take that news? I mean, obviously, uh, back in July, obviously him getting diagnosed, it was still fairly early. 
um, in this whole ordeal. And like, you know, how did, did you kind of have a sense of how he was taking the news? Obviously you mentioned he still worked out and things like that, but like, yeah, I mean, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty still around that. Yeah. As parents, you know, that was kind of early on still when everybody was trying to figure out, you know, some of our first deal was, Oh God, just immediately concerned you and made us constantly keep up with him, how he was feeling. What are your symptoms? This, he said, he just said, Ma, I don't, I don't feel, I mean, I feel a little different. He said, but I don't really feel, I don't, I don't feel, you know, it's kind of like a head cold or sinuses or allergies or something like that. He's just, he said, the biggest thing I can, he could remember is just a little bit of a weird, no taste and, 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 and his nose felt weird, you know, smell or whatever. And so that he, he felt those for a couple of days and kind of a, but, but really it doesn't, it didn't really, as we were concerned talking to him multiple times a day, how you feel and what's going on, we realized it, it wasn't impacting him like it, like you see it impacting some of the older people or some others you hear of. And his symptoms were very minimal and he kind of just kept chopping wood and kept working out. And, and so for us, we wasn't able to see him that whole time. And, and then he recovered pretty quick and went back after 14 days and, and he hadn't looked back. I know he's tested a million times the last couple of weeks for the mm-hmm. SMU game, and then they continue to test a lot. Um, and so he's he and his teammates, I mean, they they quarantined. My son hardly sees me. We went and watched him last week, and I probably saw him from a little bit of a distance, you know, just a very small amount of time after the game just because he don't want to do anything or get around anyone that would make him positive. And so he gets up to the facility and starts, gets there about 6.30 from what I understand. And, and then he does his practices, his meeting, his videos, does his eating, gets on virtual school, stays and does that, and then goes back to their meetings. And after that, and he gets home after about a 12 or 13 hour day, he's back in bed and, doing it living in his own little bubble there in his apartment so he just he's just trying to really stay quarantined uh and keeping his crowd very small so that he doesn't you know nothing's going to conflict with him playing well coach you're going into your second season at mckinney boyd of course uh you know where do you kind of feel like you guys are at and and on top of that i mean how have you guys kind of dealt with all of the the complications that have come about from covid well, you know, crazy as it is, I got this job. I haven't, I haven't had, I'm fixing to play my second season. I haven't had a full off season yet because of just getting the job the first year and then or last year and then this year we had spring break. We started this lockdown, and so, uh, but but I can tell you, our kids have, you know, they they've really worked hard and they've and they and they're really trying to buy in, and and you can tell there's a lot of investment, and that's that's what it takes, you know, and. And so for us, we feel like uh, we have things in the right direction. And, you know, the thing about DFW is that you can be a pretty good football team and not even make the playoffs. Because DFW has the, greatest, has the greatest high school football in the world, you know. And, uh, and so, you know, every team has Division One guys, and everybody you play is really good. And so the margin is so small that we're just – we can't focus on everybody else. And so we, what we've got to do, because everybody keeps asking me, man, what about your district, Highland, Prosper, Guyer, you know, all these people, McKinney, LLM, all these people we got to play is that 
I just tell them, look, I can't worry about everybody else. Everybody's good in DFW. Uh, well, we just got to take care of us. And so we're trying to get bigger. We're trying to get faster. We're trying to stay healthy. We're trying to do everything we can to maximize maximize every week with our roster and and, and pull every ounce of potential we can out of this team. And so, um, you know, the margin is – there's so much parity and the margin is so small. So we're just trying to do all the little things right you know and create a great culture of toughness and discipline and smart players that are that are going to play hard for each other um you know and, and so that's what we're trying to control right now you know and and then you know all, all the while you get them back and you start doing all this stuff during the summer as they let them come back and work out and we had spots where we were having quarantining kids and our, our our workouts look different based upon kids having to quarantine at times and close contact or positive or whatever they were. And so we, we just had to, you know, batten down the hatches and do the best we can with that. But, but at the same time, knowing that we're following all the protocols, we spent so much time meeting with our administration here, our athletic director and making sure that we're following process for the health codes and temperatures and QR codes and, you know, and uh, sanitizing and cleaning, um, you know, hand sanitizers and cleaning bars and anything people touch and spacing and, and masks and just the whole thing. We, we had to really, you know, felt like I was going to work for the CDC. I mean, we were all having to be so knowledgeable and spend so much time to do that so we didn't screw it up for ourselves or the rest of the state. We had to take care of our business, you know, and so – and that's ongoing, you know, and sometimes this stuff is changing as we go. And um, and we just got to stay on top of it. And I think it's it's our professional duty to make sure that, that we're taking care of these kids and we're getting to our games and and, uh, and, and these parents can rely on us. And, and, and I'm grateful that they they trust us. But, but we need to do things that are trustworthy and make sure that we're um, having the kids follow all the processes. How, uh, how beneficial has it, well, I've got one more. How beneficial is it, um, you know, it, it'd be harder going into your first season at, at Boyd, right, if, and all this going on. How, how beneficial has it been to have the kids with some familiarity with you, at least, um, knowing that you're not installing something completely new to these kids under these circumstances? Yeah, you know, and that's good because even – that's been really good. I mean, even mm-hmm. though I hadn't had a full off season with this this group, there we established enough up to then that there was great buy-in. I, I was really pleased with uh, what we can control. There's things we can't control, but what we could control, we were very pleased with the buy-in and the work ethic. And even after we went through the pen, when we got shut down in March, our kids had a routine. We gave them an itinerary that was very much like what we were been doing. You know, we had an itinerary of waking up, getting on Zoom, doing a a full body workout based on the Zoom at their home, and then them having a breakfast time, and then them starting their Zoom school all the way to lunch, and then they had time for themselves for a couple hours, then they got back on Zoom at one, and then they went into uh, Zoom meetings football-wise at three, three to four, so there was a whole regiment. The biggest deal is we wanted them to continue to wake up and have regiment. And, and not just turn nocturnal from playing, you know, Fortnite and all night long and sleeping all day and, you know, doing all that stuff. We wanted to continue to, to 
to create and have, you know, regiment and discipline with what we were doing our off season, you know, and, and so we stayed along with that and the kids did a great job. We kept up with, um, on a weekly basis, our, our coaches talked to them. We have family, co family groups and our coaches would break out and talk to all their kids every day in that right after their workouts on Zoom, spend about 20, 30 minutes doing attendance, motivating them, still coaching character, and then just trying to do everything we would have done had we been here face-to-face -face with what we're given. So that was that went really well. Now, was it imperfect at times? Yeah, but, but that's the way it is when you coach teenagers. When you're getting paid on the choices of the teenagers, that's the way it is. So, but we were really consistent, did a great job all the way up to June, and they started allowing us to come back. Only time we've ever had hiccups is when we had a positive person or we've had close contact and we've had to quarantine those close by. Well, Coach, thank you so much for the time. Good luck this year at McKinney Boyd, and we'll talk to you again real soon, all right? Yeah, thank you, guys. All right, thanks again to Coach McBride for joining the program. Let's go ahead and move on. Uh, we got a couple of games this weekend, less games than we thought that there'd be. Um, and, you know, we can maybe talk briefly about, uh, about you know, how we thought those other two games would go maybe for, for just a second at the end. But uh, let's start with games that really exist first. Um, the game first that I'm going to, UTSA at Texas State, 2.30 p.m. on ESPN2. Texas State, this is, this is kind of interesting. Texas State is a seven and a half point favorite heading into this game. So, Ish, what, what are your first thoughts? Jeez, first of all, my first thought is when's the last time they were been a seven point favorite? Um, <laughs> that's second, a big number. Yeah, that's a big number for Texas State. That I probably got to go back to twenty fourteen, I think, probably, or maybe twenty fifteen when they were riding the high off that twenty fourteen season. Anyway, um, yeah, my my first thought is. I think I put this in the magazine. This is the year that, you know, you have to beat UTSA, right? If you're Texas State. Um, have to. Have because to. Jeff, Jeff Trailer's obviously first-year head coach. But even taking that aside, you know, UTSA is still looking for whatever it is going to be on offense. And, you know, they might have the best player on the field in Sincere McCormick. But everywhere else, you should be able to win the battle. Um You should have a better offensive line at this point. You should have a better, you know, you should have more... You hope to have more consistent quarterback play. Obviously, we'll see who UTSA throws out there. Um, you hope to have more playmaking at wide receiver. And defensively, you hope to kind of be better, if not a stalemate, because you're if you're Texas State, you're obviously still replacing um, still replacing some players, even though we saw a lot of improvement last week against SMU. But again, there's just a lot of uncertainty around UTSA, who basically chose a... I don't want to say a blow it up and rebuild, but it is a rebuild under Jeff Trailer, um, as opposed to thinking they were on a certain trajectory under Frank Wilson. Um, and so, yeah, this is the year. If you can't beat them this year, like, I don't know when you can expect to beat them again. Or I don't want to say beat them again, but when you can expect to have that ex to have that expectation of beating them. Um, UTSA, again, you look at the names, they're probably going to roll out a quarterback. Josh Adkins, Frank Harris, Lowell Narcisse, Jordan Weeks. Obviously, we anticipate that being more Josh Atkins and Frank Harris, but even at that point, you're not looking at you're not looking at game breakers. You're looking, you know, Frank Harris. We hope develops into one, but you're still kind of hoping to see something out of him. Um, you know, I, it, it's it, you know, 
running back's the only position where you're probably going to be outmatched. And if that's the case, I like my chances if I'm Texas State. <laughs> I would give uh, UTSA probably <clears throat> a slight nod in the secondary, but sure, yeah, sure. I that's mean, another it's, one. Yeah. it's 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 pretty close, right? And um, and yeah, I mean, running back is the one spot where you expect UTSA to be a lot better. And obviously, last week we saw that Calvin Hill and Brock Sturgis are yeah, pretty damn good players. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> right. And so, yeah, I mean, I look at this game, right? And and the biggest thing I want to see from this game is, can we confirm what we saw last week from Texas State? Was that right. a real showing as opposed to, hey, they were ramped up for their first game and SMU maybe is not as good as we thought? Or is this, you know, a team that's legitimately improved? Because when you look at the indicators that we saw last week from Texas State, right? Like, it wasn't that... You know, Texas State just blew off some big plays, right? Like, that's right. not exactly what happened. It wasn't that, you know, it, it wasn't any one thing. It was everybody kind of just playing at a higher level than what they did last year. And that's the sort of thing that you hope can be sustainable as opposed to just getting a bunch of lucky breaks. Now, I think that this is going to be a very interesting game for Brady McBride just because, you know, that first game he obviously showed a whole lot. But, but this is going to be a game where... They probably will be able to protect him pretty well. He probably has to make, you know, sort of more traditional plays. And uh, and so I am going to be curious, you know, can he sort of be that game manager? Can he be a guy who goes for close to 300 yards? And and can he be more efficient? And again, based on what we saw last week, I think, I think he can. But uh, I, I think this is a very important game for Texas State because mm-hmm. I think that this is Again, this is a prove-it game to me. Prove that this is real. And, and you know, just to touch on UTSA for a second, like, they don't need to show anything, right? They, they shouldn't get blown out, right? That would be a real disappointment. But right. the big thing is you want to see, okay, Sincere McCormick's as good as we thought he was. Frank Harris, you know, is, is mm-hmm. doing things that we thought that he would. Uh, you know, their offense is, you know, getting the most out of those players. They're they're trying creative ways to get them involved. Defensively, like, you want to see them be physical. You want to see them not give up big plays. But, yeah, I mean, this is really a game that's so important for Texas State because I think that um, somebody, somebody posted a query on Twitter a, a few weeks back that was like, if you're a Texas State fan, would you rather beat SMU or UTSA? And I, what I said back was, look, if you – go and compete with SMU and then go and lose to UTSA. How frustrating is that? Right. right. <laughs> so this is the moment where you can't do that. Right. Yeah. It, it's this, I mean, uh, you know, we haven't even taken into or talked about the fact that it's a rivalry game, obviously. Um, and so like that, what, what, that was a good question because what that poses is, you know, expectation versus, you know, upset. Right. It's one thing to upset SMU, but it's something you should expect to beat teams or at least compete or compete with teams more your level like UTSA. Right. Because if you go and upset SMU, all the all the momentum's taken out of that win if you go and lay an egg. But if you go and lose to SMU, eh, okay, sure, whatever, it's fine. You know, I think last week was a best case scenario for that, right? Where you compete with SMU, you're not overmatched. And then you set up this matchup where it's like, okay, now let's see if that's real, if that was something, right? Um, and yeah, it's <laughs> this is going to be really interesting because it, and it's hard to preview because we don't know anything about what to expect from UTSA. They haven't even named a starting quarterback yet, right? We don't even know if any of these quarterbacks are on the list of players that we, we talked about that are on the COVID list, right? So we don't know what 
we don't know what to expect at all. Um, you know, like I said, the depth chart uh, they released yesterday did not include the, the players they're waiting to hear on. Um, I believe yesterday we also got some news on Julon Williams. His waiver cleared, so, you know, they're going to have him at wide receiver. So it's it's not a UTSA team devoid of talent, but it's just a UTSA team that we just don't know what they are. Yeah, yeah, no question. So when you look at that seven-and-a-half-point line, what, where are you going with it? I'm going to say Texas State covers. Um, I'm going to say... I'm gonna say it's a. I'm gonna say it's a double digit. I'm gonna say fourteen. All right. I. So yeah, seven and a half is a good line because if it was seven, I'd feel pretty good about it. Like, like six and a half to where it's yeah. like you win by seven and and you get it. I'd feel pretty good about it. But man, this is a rivalry game. This mm-hmm. is Jeff Trailer's debut. Whew. I am going to say. I'm going to say that Texas State wins comfortably, like where it doesn't feel too close, mm-hmm. but it still ends up within seven. I, I think that that's how I'm feeling. Gotcha. I think like maybe a backdoor feel, cover situation. Yeah. I think I would feel different, honestly, if this was normal situations and UTSA was able to bring their own crowd. Yeah. I yeah. think I would feel, I no, think I, I, would, mean, that I, would, think I would take it under. I think. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, that should that's the really fun game of the weekend. Now we gotta now we gotta play with some gigantic lines. <sighs> uh, so so let, let's move on. Okay. So uh, I don't know which one of these games to start with. Oh, let, let's just go for it. Texas versus UTEP. Sure. Uh, Seven p.m. on Longhorn Network. I'll be watching closely. I don't expect anybody else to, um, including Texas. Me. <laughs> <laughs> Texas is a. 43 point favorite heading into this game (laughs) so what's your feeling let's be Uh, clear let's be clear okay this is an fbs on fbs matchup let's just remind everybody (laughs) of that (laughs) on paper yes it is an fbs on fbs matchup um golly uh my hope is sam ellinger doesn't play the third quarter (laughs) I guess Will Sam the, Ellinger play the second quarter? Uh, maybe. I mean, you know, I'm hoping he, they probably want, no matter what, they probably want to get him a half of reps. But yeah, yeah, I hope yeah, after that he comes out He comes out with the second half with his pads off and he has the clipboard in his hands and we see some Casey Thompson. <laughs> that, that is going to be interesting, honestly. Like, I wonder what guys do get in there because, um, you know, we've heard that Hudson Cards had a very good camp. Uh, we expect Casey Thompson to still be the obviously primary backup, but sure. yeah, I mean that. I think that's honestly in some ways a more interesting game is uh, which backup is going to get more time than the starter. I think it'll be Thompson. <laughs> I I think that um, I'm very excited to see uh, some Bijan Robinson. I, sure. I think that that'll be a lot of fun, um, and 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 I do expect them to bring him along kind of slowly in this game, but. You know, if he has a breakout second half, and he's gonna make the decision for them. Um, you know, see what those rec- those backup receivers have got going on. But listen, you you you're hearing the way that we're talking about this game, right? We obviously don't think that UTEP <laughs> is gonna make this game very competitive. I just don't see any reason to expect that. Um, it has to be about it has to be about Texas, right? It has to be about what what ter- uh, Tarek Black looks like. It has to be about you know just like a lot of these second third string guys getting good getting good reps because you know you know what to expect right i guess the only thing we could talk about is just like do they score do they beat them by more than 40 i don't know like i don't i don't think i think maybe 40 is a little too high i think maybe it's closer to the final scores 
uh, closer to 30 points, um, just because I think they are playing with third string and probably calling the game more conservatively in the second half. Um, but you know that you're you know you mentioned it. This is kind of just how we have to talk about this game. <laughs> yeah, I yeah I'm I'm very curious honestly because I do think that you know Tom Herman has a couple of different ways that he could handle uh, playing the team in this game, right? Because because. He could want to, you know, get the offense in rhythm, be very aggressive even with the backups, or, like, he could just hold on to the ball and not really care that sure, much. So yeah. I I am kind of curious to see. I mean, look, I'll, I'll tell you another thing. Um, if running right at Carl Williams didn't work that well for UTEP last <laughs> week, running at Keandre Coburn is going to be even worse. So I would advise them not to try that. <laughs> I will say I would advise them to, to try the I, edge a little more. Yeah, one thing I guess we could talk about for UTEP is, you know, he, hey, here's the here's the first big test for both Deion Hankins and Jacob Cowing, right? Like two star yep, yep. young players who we expect to kind of be stars eventually. Um, and here's a here's a test, right? I'm not saying you got to rush for a hundred yards or you know you catch even have seventy five yards receiving, but we need to be able to see you. Once Joseph Osai hits Hankins once, what happens, right? Once we see uh, Cowing line up against, or, uh, you know, I'm trying to think of uh, Jameson, right? Is Cowing line up against Jameson, like what happens then, right? When, when we see Caden Stearns come over the top against uh, that wide receiving core, what happens? Because we, we know UTEP has better talent and emerging talent at skill positions. Do, you know, this is going to be the ultimate litmus test, right? Are we dealing with good group of five players or are we dealing with really potentially great group of five uh, players on on, uh, on these skill positions? Yeah, and, and the comparison that I'd make to that is, for us, last year, Sincere McCormick against Baylor goes 12 for 87 and two touchdowns, right? Yeah, like, and you, you instantly your, your takeaway was, okay, we have something here. Right, right. And, and don't get me wrong, you know, and, and you said it, but like, if Cowing and Hankins don't do anything in this game, that doesn't mean that they're, like, lost causes or anything right. like that. But, like, it would just be nice to see them look like they belong on the field, right? Mm-hmm. And and that's something that I think we expect from both of them. We think that they're really good players for any level. They're not just like, okay, this is good for UTEP. I, I don't think that we think that. Right. And so having a little bit of confirmation of that, I think, would, would be a good start. Let's finish it out now with Texas Tech versus Houston Baptist, the only FBS versus FCS of the weekend, but uh, big surprise here. Uh, Houston Baptist is actually less underdog versus Texas Tech than UTEP was against Texas. They're 39 and a half points underdog. Uh, the game is 7 p.m. on Big 12 now. So. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> so Houston Baptist uh, obviously played last weekend. Did some really nice things offensively against North Texas. Lost fifty-seven to thirty-one. Uh, how do you kind of see this game going? Um, I think so. It's kind of hard because I obviously think that you know I expect to see Tech come out and put up a lot of points quickly because um, we're hoping that everything's healthy on their end and we're we're good to go and we see them kind of show what they showed at the beginning of last year. Um, but. I'm wondering how I'm wondering what we see from HBU's offense, right? We saw them put up points, but was that just was that just a UTEP thing, or is that something that they can sustain a little bit for against Texas Tech? Because my inkling wants 
to maybe say it, you know, one of those first quarter scare games where it's maybe a 10 point margin and then tech pushes it later on. But I, a part of me is also like, eh, tech's a lot better. And I don't think it's close at any point. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, the thing that I'll say, right, is that there is a clear talent, a talent advantage, excuse me, between North Texas and Houston Baptist. Right. right? So like, you know, that was legitimately impressive to see what they did. Like that was a real thing. Um, but you know, I, I probably am a little higher on Texas Tech than most heading into this year. Mm-hmm. I mean, they have so many, you know, good transfers coming in. And, I mean, I don't know. Last year, they did have a little bit of trouble with Montana State um, at the very beginning, like kind of like what you're saying. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they put UTEP away real quick. Uh, I think this is going to be a good test for Texas Tech secondary because they have some guys back there. They have some contributors. They have a lot of production returning everywhere except for really at a, at linebackers, really kind of their big question mark mm-hmm. with Jordan Brooks gone. But, you know, I'm going to be really curious to see because Houston Baptist has two or three receivers, you know, the Stearns and and obviously Ben Ratzlaff, who, who are big-time players for any level. Yeah. And so I'm going to be curious to see. I do think that Houston Baptist is going to take some chances early because, you know, why, not? why wouldn't you? Yeah. <laughs> right? When, when you got, uh, you know, I, I think that Al Bowman's great, but, like, Bailey Zappi's awesome too, yeah. right? And so um, I do think that they're going to take some chances early. Uh, from Texas Tech, I think that the thing I want to see is I want to see Alan Bowman looking comfortable in this offense right. because even even when they won those first three games last or two of the first three games last year and Bowman threw for a bunch of yards, like he didn't look especially comfortable, um, you know, just kind of adjusting to what he needed to do in sort of this aggressive spread versus the air raid that he had played in under Kingsbury. So I would like to see that. Um, I'd like to see what running backs are stepping up to kind of help Sir Roderick Thompson because I assume that he's not going to carry the ball 40 times a game mm-hmm. uh and I'm curious to see too what receivers end up stepping up you know we, we kind of expect Eric Ezukanma and TJ Vasher to be those guys but especially inside you know who are some of the guys who step up there do we see a Kishan Carter do we see a Dalton Rigdon I, I don't know I'm just really curious to see kind of what rotations they throw out there because I, I do think that there's a lot of question marks um, in a positive way, in some ways, on that offense, just because they have so many guys. And uh, and I'd like to see if we start at least getting a little bit of clarity to what they're thinking. Right, yeah, I, th- I think that's the biggest thing is, also, is for me, too, is seeing, you know, this is two years now that Alan Bowman's had an injury, um, an injury that's cut his season yeah. short. So seeing what his level's at, um, obviously this was kind of the, unfortunately this was the case last year too. It was like, okay, let's see how Alan Bowman handles coming back from injury. And it's like, okay, well, let's see how he does it again. Um, so, you know, it is, it is something to be missing two seasons in a row. And so what, you know, is, does the ball have the same zip on it? You know, is he look completely comfortable? Is he, you know, just a lot of things that just come back naturally, or that, that you that you question naturally with somebody coming back from injury and now somebody coming back from injury twice. Um, so yeah, that's definitely the biggest thing for me. What and you know you hope to be able to uh, to not play him the whole game, obviously, because you know you don't you you <laughs> you want to be able to put put some distance between you and an FCS program to and to rest your you know now injury prone quarterback to you know to uh, to save him to hopefully uh, have a fully healthy season. Yeah, yeah, and. You know, so they also added um, they added Utah State quarterback transfer Henry Colombi, mm-hmm. uh, who's going to be immediately eligible. They have Maverick McIver in. Donovan Smith is a freshman who's coming in. I'm also kind of curious to see 
how they handle that backup situation because MacGyver's the guy who's been there obviously this whole time. Mm-hmm. This is his second year in the program, but Columbia's somebody who obviously played for uh, Matt Wells and David Yost at Utah State mm-hmm. and were recruited by him. So, you know, I, I do expect to, to see both of those guys, obviously. Uh, and and look, if you have if you have three guys that you feel pretty good about and then some young developmental guys, I think you obviously feel just fine about that. Yeah. Um, you know, but I am curious to see because, yeah, like you mentioned, I mean, not to harp on it too much, but Alan Bowman's probably going to get hurt this year, right? Like, that's just that's just something that, unfortunately, I think we have to expect to some extent. Mm-hmm. And, and I do like the guys that they have. Uh, another guy, actually, because, you know, one thing that I, I think almost... I don't want to say it's gotten overlooked, uh, but they just have just such an insane amount of transfers <laughs> that they're adding to this lineup now. Yeah. So at running back, they've got Chadarius Townsend, who is an Alabama guy. Uh, they've got Tyree Wilson. Do you know if he? I, I can't remember if he's eligible. I don't know if they've made it. Uh, I couldn't remember either. Yeah, but they've got uh, Brandon Bouye Randall, who was a Michigan State linebacker. Like they've got. They've got legit like five or six guys who they didn't have last year. Oh, Eric Monroe. I mm. honestly forgot about <laughs> Eric Monroe coming in there too, yeah. right? So you got a lot of guys. And one thing that's going to be really interesting, and I'm curious with a guy like Monroe actually specifically, is, you know, is this kind of a, a little bit of a a bonus year for them, mm-hmm. right? Because Monroe could look to the NFL. I mean, there's definitely a chance he could leave after this year. But, you know, for a lot of these guys who are coming in who expected to be one-year grad transfers, like, Getting more than that, I mean, that's a huge deal to me. Yeah, no, it definitely is. I, it, it's, it's weird because like we, you know, the the storyline last year was Matt Wells, unfortunately having having bad injury uh, luck, but also like still being somewhat optimistic about what you did see. And this year, it's it's. I feel like I should be not I should be naturally more optimistic about them this season, but I'm still like I still don't know a lot about what this team is. <laughs> right and you know i do think that this sort of uh this whole sort of redshirt year or or like non-eligibility year situation right. I, I think that this is going to help texas tech more than almost any other team in the state oh, yeah, for because sure. you know because yeah this is a team that's in growing mode and like i think that it's actually going to be fantastic news for the staff to be able to to you know sort of balance out that roster with a bunch of fifth and sixth year seniors next year you know when when you're heading into 2021 when you have a you know Technically, I guess it'll be a, I guess it'll be what a, a still another sophomore year Alan Bowman next year, God, which is yeah, very weird, weird to think. Yeah. About. <laughs> it's very weird to think about. Um, it's on the you know, so I mean, I. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no doubt, no doubt, and so. Um, no, I mean, getting some of these guys back for another year. Oh my God, is, is Eli Howard going to get a what is it a seventh year? Oh my year? gosh, I, oh my. <laughs> he might he might just I, I he don't... might be done after that point. He's like you know he I'm might gonna... just be. Yeah, <laughs> I've, I've had enough. No thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta I gotta get to my grandkids right. man. I gotta move on. <laughs> but um, no, I mean, and again, like like. To follow up, like with the with the UTEP one, this is kind of what we think of this Texas like he's a Baptist game. It's more going to be an opportunity for us to to get to learn some things. I am excited to see uh, at Texas Tech, you know, what their tackle situation looks mm-hmm. like. Um, you know, because they did lose one of the best tackle rotations in the state in uh, in Travis Bruffy and Terrence Steele. So I, I don't know. There, there's I think enough things to kind of keep me interested. Sure. But yeah, I mean, I don't expect it to be much of a game. Sure. So let's let's close out real quick. Um, I mean, like less than five minutes, obviously, on, on this. But uh, you know, so so TCU SMU to me that was the most interesting game of the weekend. Yep. Uh, it was a rematch of last year. What? How do you think that would have gone, and, and what would you have hoped to see in it? 
I guess I would have hoped to have seen... Well... <laughs> I would hope to see something from TCU as far as offense is concerned because we we know nothing about what they're going to do um, purposefully um, from 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 design by Gary yes. Patterson. <laughs> um, and so wondering, you know, just wondering what the quarterback situation looks like, wondering we're always kind of rightfully so we've given Gary Patterson this this benefit of the doubt, right? They've he's gone through these shaky seasons but we're like yeah he's he he, of all the coaches in the state he's the one to turn it around right he's the one that hasn't had you know what was it back-to-back losing seasons etc etc and you know now this was the year to just to show something right this was the year to show that it's not a downward trend that it's just a little hiccup and smu would have been a perfect litmus test to see where this program is and it is is it something is this a uh uh, a downward trend or was or is it just a two-year hiccup because last year they played well right i'm not gonna say that they, they got their butts kicked or anything but i wasn't I, I, I just you could see the talent discrepancy when you when you and when you consider smu is not a power, a power five program you're like why is there a talent discrepancy <laughs> right right no and i mean we saw that uh you know kind of play itself out yeah. and the, the thing is right like <laughs> The funny thing about it is that TCU had three top 40 picks in last right, year's draft. Thing, you yeah, know, they, yeah. they they had like six or seven guys who got invited to training camps, right? Like this was not a team that should have looked as overmatched yeah. as it did for so much of the year. And I don't know. Uh, I, I'm, <laughs> this is a little bit of shade, but you know, I mean, like Gary Patterson has that stretch of, you know, going and, and having losing, losing seasons and then having fantastic 10 win seasons mm-hmm. right like he 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 won something like 85 percent of his games in the years after losing seasons which is only you know he's only had like three of them until last right. year and so i assume that uh we count this as a mulligan uh-huh. right <laughs> like i'm assuming that that we just kind of say this was uh, an off year because i'll tell you what the biggest thing that i wanted to see and, and you mentioned it a little right is what what does their offense look like yeah. what does a what what does a Jerry Kill head coach of the offense? I was about to say like, with, what does Jerry you know, Kill do? <laughs> <laughs> right? Mixed with Sonny Combie, mixed with Jug Meacham, like what is that? What what the hell is yeah. that? <laughs> and and I mean, because I'll tell you what, right? Like if uh, if Max Duggan is out, and I mean, I think that this is to some extent true, even if Duggan was in, but like they have to find a more creative way to get playmakers the ball, and like. I've been joking that they should run, you know, the wishbone or run the option or something. But, like, I mean, all their best players right now are rushing. Right. And, and you know, so I am just very curious. Because uh, Stephon Clark, their, their Juco guy who we expect to be the starting quarterback of Duggan's out an extended period of time. Like, he wasn't a super accurate passer at Independence Community College. Mm. So, yeah, I don't know. I would have been very curious to see what... Uh, TCU's offense looks like, especially against an SMU defense that obviously we saw last week, teams can move the ball against to some extent. Right. So, um, real quick, moving on to Baylor versus Louisiana Tech. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very disappointed that we don't get to see this game because it would have been the debut of Dave Aranda mixed with also them having to play a pretty damn good Conference USA team yeah. that beat Miami 14-0 right. in the bowl game. Right, right. I think the other thing was, you know, getting to see for the first time really like an offense tailored to Charlie Brewer. Right. And so right, that right. was obviously we'll hope, hope to see that down the line, but you know, that was the biggest anticipation for me was 
sure, Dave Aranda and seeing what, what he does with that defense that was already stellar last season, but just seeing finally what Charlie Brewer can do when when a coach says, okay, we have an insanely accurate passer who's probably not the most physically imposing, so let's not ask him to do that. Let's ask him to hit these pinpoint passes and just spread the ball to everybody, get, you know, seven, eight touches on the ball across wide receivers, tight ends, running backs, um, and just get him spreading the ball around. Because, I mean, again, we always talk about how this is a 70% high school passer, right? And what he needed in offense that we expect Larry Fedora to, to scheme around. And, um, you know, again, we'll, hopefully we'll see it this season, but it was something that I was looking forward to. Yeah, and uh, and please don't disrespect the man. He actually completed seventy seven percent. Sorry, my of his bad. I, I, I rounded down, way school. down. Yes, yes, yeah, way, way, way down. But uh, but no, I mean, I that's the thing, right? Is like Charlie Brewer, especially last year, got a lot of criticism, and I mean, I'm not saying it wasn't un- that it was unfair or anything right. like that, but. I mean, I think in that offense, it, well, it goes back to the the scheming yeah. thing, right? In that offense, right. I think he plateaued because neither were a perfect fit for each other. No, I mean, honestly, in some ways, I think that Charlie Brewer was good despite playing in the worst offensive situation that he could find himself mm-hmm. in. And like, I mean, yeah, he was asked to stand in the pocket and deliver, you know, pinpoint passes down the field and most college players can't do that right Right. like that's not what most college players are asked to do whereas we've seen you know hank carter at lake travis runs an offense that's very similar to what larry fedora historically does and yeah i mean i i really think that you know charlie brewer i I think has been a good player for three years at this point like i don't think that that's you know some outrageous statement but i really think that he could take a step to being like one of the top players in the state like that legitimately good uh just you know with an offense that really will be tailored to fit him and look we don't know at this point whether he's going to be back for his fifth year too but like i would be really excited to see you know a a fifth year senior charlie brewer with two years in a larry fedora offense though i i will say i will say um the rumblings have already started for Larry Fedora and Southern Miss as that job Jeez. came open this week. So, uh, you know, maybe it'll be a short uh, a short visit. Yeah. But but obviously, you know, uh, my I've only had a few limited interactions with Larry Fedora, but he seems like a fun guy to have around. So, you know, hopefully, uh, hopefully he sticks around for a little yeah. longer. <laughs> anyway, anyway, whew. it is... Uh, Man, it's week two of the season. It is, uh, you know, this is this is a weird season. It's going to continue to be a weird season. We're probably going to have more cancellations. <laughs> Who knows, right? Who knows? So, um, but for now, again, we've got these three games. Texas UTEP, Texas Tech, Houston Baptist, UTSA versus Texas State. Um, if you had to pick one to watch, I think that our choice is definitely UTSA versus Texas State. I think that could be a really, really fun game. Um, but Hey, you know what? We made it to week two of the season. We didn't know if we were going to make it there. So we will take that for now. Anyway, thanks as always to to everybody for joining us. Thanks so much to coach Joe McBride over at McKinney Boyd for joining us on the program. Uh, as always, if you're not already become a subscriber at texasfootball.com slash subscribe, follow us on Facebook, Dave Gamble, sex football, follow us on Twitter at DCTF. And, uh, we will talk to you guys again on Sunday.